in that same passage Dee Dee just wrote, John chapter 6, so you can keep your Bibles open to there. Now, I talked earlier about some, some difficult words, and, and if, again, uh, many of you grew up in the church or have been here for a very long time, and these words, uh, they, might, uh, they might not cause you any difficulty at all. They may, you've heard probably this section of Scripture that was just read so many times that it is not difficult, even though there are some difficult words uh, in this, difficult enough that disciples left. So to give you an idea of what it might be, and some of you might not find these words difficult too, but let me tell you about what my son's doing right now. He's, he's currently on, uh, on, on some extended uh, CONUS orders as a SIT and in uh, OSET to become a 31 Bravo. Past few weeks, they've been doing a lot of DNC, but they've also been training this week uh, on CBRN, the CCCT before Hammer FTX. Yeah, uh, they're competing, or they just completed red phase. They're moving on to white. They'll be doing a lot of RT with their M4s, probably throwing some M67s. Uh, they wake up at 0430 every day, jump out of their racks, throw on their soft shoes to do some PT, right? Uh, and then before first mess. And speaking of that, when, when they're in garrison, they usually eat at the chow hall. But if they're in bivouacking, then they might eat MREs, or we call it uh, Murray's, eating at Murray's. And unless you've lived in army background, that probably made no sense to you whatsoever. Uh, yeah, we, oh, sorry. Bible explorers. Five years through fifth grade. Please. Yeah, because, yeah, who needs that? Who needs to hear this? No. Um, but yes, please, you're dismissed. Thank you. Um, yeah. But if you, if you don't have an army background, and even if you do have an army background, you probably have a hard time with this because the jargon, the, the, um, the acronyms uh, are, are strange, and they've, and they've even changed uh, o- over the years. Uh, words like these are hard because they're just confusing. And there are a lot of words that we will read today, um, and we've sung already, that we've said in the, in the uh, affirmation of faith that are confusing. At other times, it's not that we don't understand the meaning, but we don't want to understand the meaning. Uh, the, meaning. Uh, the words are hard because, uh, again, because we don't like them. It starts when we're very young. Right? Eat your vegetables. <laughs> Clean your room. Wait your turn. Share. And then the one that turns all of our hearts to stone, right? No. <laughs> and of course, um, as we get older, the list of those hard words actually gets longer, not shorter. You should wait until you can afford it. Your work didn't meet the standards of the assignment. We passed you over for for promotion because she's performing better than you are. Uh, Of course I like you, but as a friend. (laughs) For those of us who are called to be disciples of Christ, there are very hard words. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Love your neighbor as yourself. Submit yourselves to one another. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then the ultimate, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. When hard words like this hit hard hearts, one of three things tends to happen. The hard heart may be repelled by those words, right? We resist, uh, we refuse, 
We rebel against the words or, or what they represent or the person they represent. Or our hard hearts may be confused. We, we can't, we don't, or we won't understand them. Or our hard hearts might be broken by those words. And that sounds painful, it often is, but by being broken, those hearts have an opportunity to be changed, to be healed, or even replaced. In our text today from the Gospel of John, we see all three of these things happen. As as Jesus continues his, His earthly ministry, people begin to realize that He is not simply a miracle worker, a teacher, or a prophet that his signs, his, his teachings, his prophecies aren't all soft and warm and comfortable. They have hard edges. They make hard claims. They have hard implications. And when those hard words in today's text hit hard hearts, we see that some are repelled, some are confused, and some are broken. And so that's our sermon in a nutshell, that Jesus' hard words will repel confuse, or break our hard hearts. It starts with them repelling. If we, again, in John chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 41. So the, grew, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Bread has been a central theme of uh, chapter 6. It began with Jesus testing his disciples and the crowds, right? And, the, and that test proved that they were thinking about bread that fills stomachs and, instead of the bread that would nourish their souls. And Jesus rebuked them for this. And he, he said uh, he made a hard, a, a very bold claim, one that was difficult for them to receive. And he reminded them of manna, this, this bread that God provided um, from heaven for the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He, he reminded them of that, um, that, that it had filled their ancestors' uh, stomachs in the wilderness, temporarily sustaining their lives. And then he claimed that he was the true bread of God, the true bread of life, the, the bread that came down from heaven that gave eternal life. And these are hard words for the people to hear. They are hard words that assert that these people have ungodly motivations. They assert that Jesus is greater than even their most revered prophet, Moses. They assert that Jesus is greater than themselves. And that Jesus is from heaven, divine, the very Son of God. When these hard words hit these hard hearts, the people are rebelled or repelled by them. And just as their ancestors had rebelled against Moses and against the, the, the manna that came down from heaven, even complaining uh, about that gift in the wilderness, the people now rebel against God by grumbling against Jesus, the bread of heaven who has been provided for them in the wilderness of this world. How can this man from these parents, claim these things. Jesus' words are offensive to the people. It hits the hard hearts, and the people are repelled by them. 
Now, if you're like me, when you, when you say something that offends someone, uh, you immediately try to soften those words. Right? So it, even if the words are true, well, that's not really what I meant. But Jesus doesn't do this. As a matter of fact, he, he, he reinforces what he has said with even harder words. It says, Jesus answered them, uh, in, in verse 43, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent, sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus rebukes them for their grumbling, and then he makes some very hard, definitive statements. He not only repeats his claim about his deity, about his sonship, his power over life and death, but he says something that is probably more offensive. No one can come to Jesus unless he is drawn chosen, selected by God the Father, and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Jesus. So the implication is this. If you are rejecting me, you have not heard and learned from the Father. Those words are beyond hard to those who consider themselves sons of Abraham, the chosen people of God, and, and students of God's scriptures. These hard words repel the hard hearts, but Jesus doubles down further. In verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I and the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So while earlier their hard hearts have been repelled by these hard words, this time when the hard words hit their hard hearts, they are confused. And so the Jews are then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, one commentary I read, commentary is a, a book that someone's written about the Scripture to sort of explain it, by D.A. Carson, who I very much uh, respect. He said, any dullard could see that Jesus was not speaking literally. No one would suppose Jesus was seriously advocating cannibalism and offering himself as the first meal. But I'm not so sure. We have other instances of people being confused by taking a literal, worldly perspective of Jesus' claims. A few chapters er earlier, in chapter 2, we see that Nicodemus right, meets with, with Jesus. Nicodemus is one of the leading scholars and teachers of that time. And Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, who is not a dullard, he is not dumb. He is a student of the Scriptures, he responds by saying, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? So in that circumstance, it is 
he proves Jesus' points. He can't, Nicodemus, this wise person, cannot see, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God or the words Jesus is using to explain them uh, because he has not yet been born again. His eyes have not yet been opened by the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes when we believe in Christ, right? teaches us, brings his words into remembrance, right? and guides us in all truth. Now, certainly, there are probably some, some of the people here who are trying to dispute Jesus' words and claims by attacking his credibility, by taking his, his, his words to absurdity. But I believe that many, maybe most, lacking the gift of the Holy Spirit in their hardened hearts are just genuinely con- confused. Paul would write later to the Corinthians, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Yet Jesus doesn't stop here. In the face of these rebellious and confused, hardened hearts, he doesn't water down the message. He ramps it up further in verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever." It says that Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Reading words like this help us understand why the Romans over the next years would accuse the Christians of holding secret rites in which they practice cannibalism. But Jesus is speaking here figuratively. He's looking forward to his sacrifice when he, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, would willingly give his life through crucifixion of his, uh, the crucifixion of his body and the shedding of his blood for those who would partake in that sacrifice. And the way that we partake in that sacrifice, the way we eat um, of, of the sacrifice is shown in the parallels between uh, the verse 54 that I just read and then back in, in verse 40, if you turn back to what we, we uh, went through last Sunday with, with Joss. Each of these verses ends with Jesus' promise, and I will raise him up on the last day. And if we look at verse 40, what does it, take, what does it mean to feed in, on his flesh and drink his blood? It says, to look on the Son of Man and believe in him. Hundreds of years later, a man named Augustine of of a place called Hippo uh, would write this. Uh, He condensed this mystery into a short Latin sentence. Credere, or crede, e manacaste. means believe and you have eaten. Believe and you have eaten. It wasn't only the Romans or the Jewish leaders who found Jesus' word hard to understand, hard to accept. In the next verses, we see that some of Jesus' own disciples find his words very hard. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, 
This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning that there were those who did not believe in who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I find this last verse, verse 66, to be one of the most distressing in the whole Bible. These are not the government leaders who, who rejected Jesus as insignificant. It's, it's not the religious leaders who rejected Jesus as a heretic. It's not even the crowds that, that thought of Jesus as a curiosity. These were people that John calls disciples who walked with Jesus until they didn't. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus admonishes those who would follow him. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Something initially drew these people to Jesus, convinced them to commit, at least to some extent, to follow him, to learn from him, to walk with him. But then, when the way got too hard and the gate got too narrow, they turned back and no longer walked with him. And let me be clear, I wholeheartedly believe that once a person is truly saved, has truly put his faith into the saving work of Christ, that that person is saved forever into eternity. We read that last week in verses 37 through 39. All that the Father gives, gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. It goes on to, to say that, that he will lose nothing, nobody, right, that the Father gives to, to him. But he will raise them up, again we hear this, raise them up the last day. And what we've also seen earlier in the Gospel of John, that belief is not just knowledge. In chapter 2, John writes, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There were people who believed in his name to some extent, but did not have true faith in him. Later in Scripture, we will hear of those who will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful, um, to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. As we discussed these verses in a Bible study this last Wednesday morning, Uh, with some of the men, a troubling question came to my mind. Could the way get too hard for you to stop following Jesus? Is there a challenge, a desire 
a value, a fear, a worry, an obstacle, a love, a possession, a person, an issue that would wake, make the way too hard, make the gate so narrow that I would turn back and no longer walk with him. May it ever be so. But the next day when I talked to my wife Martha about this, uh, she, as usual, had a very wise response. She said, the answer to that question depends on the answer to this question. Who is your God? See, if your God is the sovereign creator of the universe, the king of glory, then there is nothing too hard, too high, too deep, too wide, too broad, right? Too long, strenuous, powerful, or tempting, or desirable that you would no longer walk with him. But if your God is the false God of money, of possessions, relationships, health, security, comfort, struggles, fears, lusts, diversions, pleasures, self, it isn't going to take too much for you to follow that God on a much easier path through a much wider gate. And that's what happens in verse 66. These disciples have followed Jesus. They know him. They believe in him, at least to some level. They may have even, or they've seen his power. They may even believe that he is a great teacher, a healer, a miracle worker, a provider, a prophet, a deliverer, that he is sent from God, that he is a savior, or even that he's Messiah. They believe some or all of this about Jesus, and yet they don't wholly believe in Jesus. There's one thing they don't truly believe. They don't truly believe that he is their God. And so when the way gets too hard, the words get too hard, the gate gets too narrow, they turn back and no longer follow him. Friends, it is easy to believe a lot of good things about Jesus, to believe a lot of things that are probably true. And then James tells us in his letter, even the demons believe and shudder. I get this. Right? The demons know that God is the creator of the universe, that he is perfectly good, that he created us to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. The demons know that all of us have sinned. The demons know that the wages of sin is death and punishment in hell forever. They know that there is nothing that we can do to liberate ourselves from the, our sins uh, or to pay for the cost of them, to pay for uh, them so that we might escape God's judgment. They know that, like the Father and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is God, co-equal, and yet a distinct person in this mysterious, eternal, triune Godhead. Some of them have a better grasp on the concept of the Trinity than I ever will on this earth. They know that in the most supreme act of love that God the Father sent God the Son to, to, to live with us, right? To come into our world, right? To, to take on flesh and blood, to be fully man and yet fully God. They know that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, that they, he taught and healed and worked miracles and made disciples. They, they know that he was persecuted, they know that he was crucified uh, for our sins, that, that he died and was buried. And they know that on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. 
The demons know that he defeated sin and death, and that those who put their trust in him, that they alone will be saved from their sins and their consequences out of condemnation into eternal life. The demons know and believe all of this and shudder. Because there is one thing that they don't believe. They don't believe that Jesus is their God. They don't believe that, that Jesus is their king. They believe that Jesus is God, just not theirs. Their minds know the truth, but their hard hearts are still repelled and confused by it. It's not just what you know. Praise Jesus that his hard words don't just repel and confuse hearts, though. Sometimes when his hard words hit hard hearts, his words break hearts. So in verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's Jesus, God the Son, right, has the power to compel you to do whatever he would desire. But while he commands you, he commands each one of us to follow him, he will not force us to do that. Throughout Scripture, we see that God offers options, reveals the consequences that will follow each of those paths, but he never forces his people to follow him. In Deuteronomy, he says to his people, See, I have set before you life and death, good and evil. Later, through his, his man Joshua, he says to them, Choose this day whom you will serve the gods of, of, of your world, or the Lord God, the King of heaven and earth. And now Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, puts that same choice to the 12 disciples who remain. Do you want to go away as well? That way is easier. That gate's wider. Just this day, thousands have chosen to go that way. The crowds have chosen it. The religious leaders have chosen it. Even my other disciples have chosen that way. Do you want to follow them? Lord, to whom shall we go? I read Simon Peter's response is a cry of brokenness. Leave you? We've left everything for you. Our boats, our booths, our families, our livelihoods. We've staked our reputations on you. To whom shall we go if not to you? And then Simon Peter continues, as we see elsewhere in the scriptures that he is prone to do, with a bold claim, a statement about who Jesus is, that he is the one with the words of eternal life, the one whom they have believed and have come to know is the Holy One of God. And just days ago, the, people's, the, the disciples witnessed Jesus feed thousands with a few loaves. They witnessed him walk on water and calm a storm. And yet, we read from Mark's account of the same events. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. 
Yet when Jesus' hard words hit Simon Peter's hard heart, instead of his heart being repelled or confused, it was broken. And just like broken ground allows a seed to send roots into it and, and, and reach into that, the, this broken heart, right? God's word, the faith starts to, to work its way in deep into those cracks and into the broken hearts of 10 others. It's not that the words have become easier. It's not that they're less confusing. That, they're, that somehow these words are not as hard for the, the disciples that remain as they were for the disciples who left. We see throughout John's gospel that these 12 disciples will continue to struggle, trying to come to grips with Jesus, his nature, his word, and, and, and the implication of his words. Peter's going to continue resisting and, and being confused by Jesus' words uh, all the way through the gospel, right? He's going he's to rebel against uh, Jesus, rebuke him for his teachings about his coming suffering and death. He's going to be confused about his commands and examples, about serving and caring for one another. He's going to be the one who denies Jesus, who hesitates at the empty tomb, He's even going to get rebuked at the end of John's gospel. Yet while he continues to struggle with Jesus' words, he continues to come back and follow him. Because he knows that there is no one else to whom he can go. His heart is being broken and softened. And it's a process. All of the disciples' hearts are going to be, need to be broken further and not just with hard words. As they continue to follow Jesus, the way will get harder and harder as they get closer to the cross and the tomb. And then even after Jesus' resurrection, their hearts will be broken further with hard experiences, imprisonment, persecution, exile, for many of them, execution. And each time that their hearts are broken, a bit of stone falls away, and, and as they continue to follow Jesus, the one who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds replaces that dead stone with living flesh. And this is the way that God seems to work in our hard hearts. He breaks them. He works his way into them, binds them up, heals them, replaces them. He's been doing this for millennia. He promised this to Ezekiel the prophet. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now in our text today, in verse, starting in verse 70, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. A brother shared a note he'd written in the, in the margins of his Bible next to this verse. Said, From 5,000 to 11. If we think the mark of a successful preacher is the size of his congregation, we have to consider Jesus a failure. In one chapter, from 61 to 670, or 666 really, that he has gone from thousands upon thousands to a dozen, 
And one of them is Judas, a man whose hard heart will continue to resist his entire life. It will continue to be confused, and it will refuse to break. And Jesus knows, Jesus knows that one day Judas is going to find the way too hard, the gate too narrow, and he will not only turn back and no longer walk with him, but he will betray Jesus to suffering and death. Think about this also. It is possible, likely probable, that some in the crowd who came to Jesus because he healed the sick, who witnessed and even fed on his miracles, would soon be in the crowd that would shout, crucify him, crucify him. And even his own disciples, the 11 who remained with him to the end, would deny, doubt, and fail him. You see, even these faithful disciples experienced the truth that the way does not get easier because we believe. As long as we live on this earth, there will be a fight between our hard hearts, right? between stone and flesh, between doubt and faith, between the desires of this world and those for Jesus. And yet they still follow Jesus because to whom else could they go? Only he has the words of eternal life. Only he is the Holy One, the Son of God. On one hand, the gospel seems easy, maybe too easy. Jesus offers us unearned grace, forgiveness for our sins, the payment of an unpayable debt. If we will just put our trust in him. Yet while the gospel gift of eternal life is free, it is not easy. Confessing that God exists and that he is sovereign is not easy because our hard hearts say that we are sovereign, that we are self-determinant. Confessing that we are sinners is not easy because our hard hearts insist that our way is right. Confessing that our sins deter, deserve eternal punishment and death is not easy because our hard hearts insist that we are better than others and that our sins are not as bad as their sins. Confessing that we are unable to fix the problem of sin and death is not easy because our hard hearts, perhaps especially our hard hearts in New England, right, insist that we can do anything we want to do we can become anyone we want to be. Confessing that Jesus' sinless life, sacrificial death, triumphant resurrection, and eternal reign in heaven are the only answer to our problem of condemnation is not easy for our hard hearts because they insist we don't need a Savior, we don't need a Lord, a King, or a God. These are all hard words. Who can accept them? So if you're here today and your hard hearts are repelled by these hard words, if you've heard the gospel and found that your heart finds them unable, right, unable to accept it, could you join me in just a little step of faith this week? Pray, talk to Jesus, and ask him to break your hard heart like a plow breaks hard ground that the seeds of his gospel might take root. And then take another small step of faith and be honest with someone. Again, the person who brought you or invited you maybe, or to somebody next to you, uh, one of the elders, me, any, anyone 
here who believes, Lord. And, and just tell us of your objections. We probably don't have answers. God does. And he promises in his scripture that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Maybe your heart's confused by these words. Have you heard this gospel and find that your heart just can't understand it? Again, would you join me in a small step of faith this week? Pray to Jesus, asking that the light of the world, Jesus, might shine into the darkness of your heart. Maybe kindle a gospel spark. And then again, take another small step of faith and, and tell someone about that. Tell us what confuses you. Again, we might not have answers, but God does, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Maybe your heart is broken by the hard words of the gospel. Maybe you're tempted to turn back, to follow the easier way, enter the wide gate. If that's the case, praise God, because he's doing work in you. He is breaking your heart. He is transforming it from stone to flesh. And so would you pray with me this week that God would continue to break our hard hearts. Grant each of us the grace to keep following him, especially when the way is hard, especially when your angry heart wants to hold onto a grudge rather than forgive, when your selfish heart wants to hold on rather than give, when your sinful heart wants to indulge rather than submit, when our guilty hearts want to conceal rather than confess. And so would you take another step in that struggle in addition to praying? Again, talk to someone and tell them, that person, about your brokenness. Tell him or her the, how the way is hard. Ask if if he or she might walk beside you, read and discuss Scripture with you, pray with you, pray for you. And on the other hand, if you are in a time where you feel that God has graced you with miraculous strength, that you indeed feel that the yoke is easy, that the burden is light, that you are walking with vigor on your path, would you come alongside a brother or a sister who is struggling with a broken heart? May our hard hearts be broken and softened by God's word that he may be glorified in our lives in all the earth that we might find that our healed, softened, renewed hearts would be able to enjoy that gentle yoke and the light burdens of our Savior who promises that he himself is gentle and lowly of heart. Let us pray. Lord God, you are king of the universe and, and unsearchable, unknowable, and yet you call us to know you. And that's hard. You give us this scripture and I read it over and over and, and, and words that seem so simple now seem difficult, um, confusing, or, or, or even undesirable, Lord. Break my heart, Lord. Break all of our hearts. Uh, that in our brokenness, we might fall 
on your strength. That in our weakness, uh, we would find that your power is made perfect in it. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me as we uh, sing a closing song. May we be like uh, the Apostle Peter who came to Jesus and said, uh, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And Jesus' words are hard. And as Martha had to remind Pastor Pat, if Jesus is your God, then Jesus will raise you up on the last day.
be seated. So one of the things we um, do at, at FCBC is when there are um, life changes, new jobs, uh, new ventures, uh, um, we would like to commission people.